I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week continues our four-week teaching series, FAQ, where we answer the questions that you gave us. Join us this week as Eric tackles the second set of questions in FAQ. Welcome to week number two of FAQs, and I'm really, really excited about this series because I think it's just real. We get the opportunity to ask some real questions and find some real answers and just think along the way. And so I want to thank you guys for being here, and I want to thank you for asking some fantastic questions that we get the chance to look at together. And I want to thank you for listening, and here's the challenge for all of us. You seek answers. You do that. And as you seek answers, seek them through the Word of God. Actually seek to find solutions with Scripture. And as you do that, wrestle a bit with God's Word. Don't give up too easily. This concept of wrestling with Scripture is something that the ancient Jewish rabbis taught to their followers. It's what they encouraged them to do. And back in the day, and as part of that culture, it wasn't unusual for disciples, for followers, to have memorized, by age 13, significant portions of the Hebrew Scriptures. Think about that. By age 13, they had memorized huge chunks of the Bible. It's just incredible. And so for them, it really wasn't a matter of what does God's Word say. Because they knew that. They had that down. It was in their head. It was more a matter of what does it mean and how do I live that out in my life today? And so they would dig and they would search and they would wrestle with Scripture until they walked away with some answers. There's actually a great story in the Old Testament about a guy named Jacob. And Jacob was an individual who had some family challenges. Like his older brother wanted to kill him. So he's got some significant family challenges that he's trying to figure out and walk through. And the night before he is to meet his older brother, he's kind of freaking out and he's really stressed about this because it's the end of his life. I mean, it is going to end the moment that he sees his older brother because his older brother hated him and he was going to take his life. And so Jacob kind of cries out to God. And in a very unique experience... God actually visits Jacob physically, and he wrestles with Jacob. And there's no doubt that God is losing that match. Because if you ever physically wrestle with God, you're done. You're not going to win that. But Jacob refused to let go of God. He just kind of hung on for dear life in that wrestling match. And he wanted God to bless him. That's what he asked for. And so finally, God blessed Jacob, and then he physically touched his hip so that he forever walked with a limp after that experience. And that limp that Jacob walked with the rest of his life was a symbol. It was a sign to him. It was a reminder of his time with God. So think about this. Jacob refused to let go of God until he got something. And then he walked away with a limp. 
And this isn't unlike how the Jewish rabbis would teach their disciples back in the day in their culture. They would wrestle with scripture and they would not let go of it easily. And they would struggle and they would dig and they would search until they walked away with something. They would do that and put in all kinds of time until they were marked with what God had done in their life. And perhaps, just maybe, they even walked away with a limp because of that experience, wrestling with Scripture. It's something very valuable and very important that we sometimes forget about. As I've been thinking about frequently asked questions and how these questions have really forced me to look at Scripture and dig and find all kinds of answers, I've been asking myself this question throughout the week. To what extent do I wrestle with life issues in relationship to Scripture? And I ask you that question. To what extent do you wrestle? I mean, you really get after it and you try to find a solution in relationship to the issues that you face in life and you do that in Scripture. See, this is a really good thing for us to just kind of take these thoughts and these questions that we've asked and run to Scripture and find out what God has to say. So this is a great exercise. This is what we're doing. We're kind of being like the disciples of the ancient rabbis back in the day. We're wrestling, we're digging, we're searching, we're looking for answers, and this is a great thing. So smile. Can you do that? No, really smile. Seriously, do that? Okay. Let's jump into some of these questions. Here's number one for today. How do you know what path to take to serve God the best that you can? How do you know? And I love this question because I get it all of the time. People ask, how do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what career path to take? How do I know who to marry? How do I know what college to choose? And sometimes this can be a very frustrating thing because God doesn't write on walls with his finger. There's actually a great story in scripture about how he did that, but he doesn't do that anymore. And God doesn't call us on the phone and just say, hey, you over there in Pennsylvania or Delaware, just do this with your life. Just pursue this. God doesn't really do that. So we're going to spend some time on this, and I think it's really important to answer. If you're a student in the room, whether that's in middle school or high school or college, I would encourage you to lean in because you have your whole life in front of you and you're constantly bombarded with what are you going to do with your life? And you've got to answer that question and you've got to figure that out. But I think there's another question you have to add to that and that is, what does God want me to do with my life? So what do I want to do, and what does God want me to do? And I think those two questions run together. So if you're a student, lean in. I think the answer to this will really help you. And if you find yourself here today, and you have a difficult, life-changing decision or choice in front of you, and whatever that might look like for you, it's there, and you're thinking about it, and you're wondering about that, then I would encourage you to lean in as well because we're going to try to answer this based on scripture. So here's what I'm convinced of. If your heart is right with God, 
All right, we're trying to figure out, what does God want me to do? Should I do this over here, choice A, or do I run with choice B? Or maybe there's multiple choices here. So if your heart is right with God, which means you've trusted in him alone to save you and you've embraced his leadership and his forgiveness and you have confessed your sin. So you're good with God. And if your relationships with people are right and good, there's no outstanding issues with others. Not that we're perfect, but we've kind of taken care of our issues with people. So we're good with God and we're good with people. If that's you, then do what you want to do. And I think you'll be doing exactly what God wants for you. See, I think sometimes we make this out to be a lot more mysterious than what it needs to be. Here's the thing for all of us to think about. Jesus has called us into a life of adventure. He has. That's what he wants for you, and that's what he wants for me. And he's going to use you and your talents and your abilities and your likes and your interests to do significant things. So whether that's as a pastor or a teacher or a student or a mom or a dad or a doctor or an administrator or a manufacturer or whatever it is, God can use you. And he wants you to take your unique set of skills and abilities and your likes and your interests, and he wants to use that to accomplish great things. I get pretty passionate about this because I think sometimes people assume that if I'm going to do something for God with my life, then I have to be a pastor or I have to go away to some far away land and serve God over there. That's really serving God to the best of my ability. And that is serving God. And there's no doubt about that. But sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is what is right in front of you exactly where you live today. But sometimes that just gets a little boring for us. I want you to think about this. You can be as close to the heart of God. Think about it. You can be as close to the heart of God serving macaroni and cheese or closing a deal or serving your customers, or teaching, or whatever it is that you might do as anything else. And here's why. Because it's about who you are as a person. Which means this. Serving God is not primarily about a place. See, discovering what God wants for us and figuring out what God wants me to do is not about being here or there as if over here is more spiritual and more significant, or being over there is more spiritual and more significant. So doing what God wants me to do is not about being here or being there. It's about who I am as an individual and what God is doing on the inside. And so if you are right with God and if you are right with people, then do what you're good at. Do what you want to do, and I think God's going to be really, really happy with that. In Romans chapter 12, we find some significant words that really speak to this. And I want to read this to you. Here's verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all 
that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now notice, in what we've read so far, there's no mention about a place or a position. It's about who you are as an individual and what you're offering up to God. And this is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, it continues, don't copy, all right? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So the right path to discovering what God wants me to do is about who I am as a person. It's about having a clean heart. And once that happens for you, then just get up and do something. Obey God, move, and he will use you. Think about what you're good at. And then do that. And you'll be doing spiritual work. You'll be doing spiritual things. And you'll be on the path that God wants for you. So let me just run a list for you. Think about yourself for a moment. Are you good at talking? Then talk, and that's spiritual work. Are you good at money? Then work with money. Are you good at managing? Then manage. Are you good at encouraging? Then encourage. Are you good at leading? Then lead. Are you good at inventing? Then create. Are you good at teaching? Then teach and be on mission where you are. And know this that God clarifies next steps in the middle of obedience. So maybe you're good with all of that, but you're kind of wondering, what's next? Like, I think there's another step for me, and I can't figure that out. Just know that God always clarifies next steps in the middle of obedience. So no whining, no complaining that we can't figure out what God wants. Obey, move. Keep doing what is right in front of you today. Maintain that pure and clean heart with God and with others. Continue to move. Continue to obey. And God will clarify next steps. I hope that helps. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Circle that in your program. I would encourage you to memorize that. And whenever you come to a question moment in your life about what does God want for me? And by the way, that's a great question to ask constantly because we all have choices, no matter how young we are or how old we are. Age doesn't matter. We all have things in front of us. We all have things that we have to choose and we have decisions to make. And so as you do that, you should be factoring in what about God in all of this? What does he want? You can look at Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, and know that it's not about a place. It's about who I am as a person, be obedient to God, and God will clarify next steps while you move and while you obey. Okay? Here's question number two. Would you marry people who aren't baptized? And the answer to that is, as long as you're serving really good food at the reception. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I would marry people who have not been baptized because baptism is not a requirement for marriage. 
There is some requirements that we find for marriage as outlined in Genesis chapter 2, and here's what it says, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So here's what we've got according to Scripture. We've got a man and a woman. That's God's design. That's God's description of this. And then they're leaving father and mother, which means they're establishing that new relationship of husband and wife as the most important human relationship that they have. That's kind of the definition of marriage. And there's no mention here of baptism at all because baptism isn't necessary for marriage. But that doesn't mean it's not a necessary thing. So I want to talk about baptism for a little bit and try to describe that in a way so we all can get that while it's not necessary for marriage, it is a necessary thing for a follower of Christ. It's something that God asked us to do. And in Matthew chapter 28, we find Jesus giving out some final instructions to his close followers. And he's kind of pouring out his heart and he's giving great information. And here's what he says to them about what they should be doing. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So here's where we kind of pick up on the desire that God has for us in his final instructions to his closest followers, that they were to go out, baptize people. This is a good thing. This is what I want others to do. Those who have embraced me and my leadership and my forgiveness, I want them to follow through on this. And you help them understand this. Baptism is a very symbolic thing. Very symbolic. Now, we're a modern worshiping church. We're a contemporary church. And we don't have a lot of symbols here. We don't have a lot of icons. Not that we have a problem with them. It's not that we're iconoclastic. We just don't have a lot of symbols. But we do very symbolic kinds of things, like baptism. It's one of the deepest, most symbolic acts that we do here at Valley Point Church. And baptism is amazing, and we walk through this a couple of different times a year. And when we baptize by immersion, the symbolism of that is we're taking a person down into the water. And that is a picture of Jesus and his death and his burial. But of course, we don't leave people under the water because you can't physically do that. So we bring them up out of the water, and that is very symbolic as well. That coming up out of the water is a picture. It's a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus and how he came and he lived and he died and he was buried, but yet he rose again, paying the price for our sins. And when people walk through that symbolic act, they're saying to everybody who is watching, that's why we gather people, And that's why we have a crowd when we do this because we want a lot of individuals to see this because the person walking through that is saying, guess what? I belong to Jesus. I've connected with him and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and I want everybody to know that I am a Christ follower. So baptism, it's a necessary thing 
It's not necessary for marriage, but it is certainly necessary in terms of obeying Christ. And if you have never been baptized, then I would really encourage you to think about this, wrestle with what God's word says, dig and search and read. And when we have our next baptism event, it'd be a great joy and a great honor to walk through that with you for you to say, this is a necessary thing and I'm gonna obey God this way. So baptism, not necessary for marriage, but a very necessary thing in terms of being obedient to Christ. Make sense? Here's question number three. This is kind of our goofy one for the week. Why is the sky blue? So I told you people submitted some crazy questions and we're not gonna shy away from crazy questions. We're gonna try to answer them. So here it goes. I think everybody knows that the sky only looks blue to people with blue eyes. For the rest of us, it's, it's kind of a brownish green, right? If you don't have blue eyes. Now, here's the scientific answer. Molecules that are in the atmosphere cause the light waves that are in the blue end of the spectrum to be scattered more than the longer wavelength light in the red end of the spectrum. Tracking with me so far? All right, hang in there. The light that is coming from the sun is polychromic. Now, you have a lot of space in your program. I would encourage you to take a pen and write down the word polychromic right now because that's what the light coming from the sun is, meaning it's made up of many different wavelengths. So the type of scattering seen by light in the atmosphere that we get to see is called Raleigh scattering. And the amount that a given wavelength of light gets scattered is inversely proportional to the fourth power of the wavelength. So a smaller wavelength gets scattered more. Okay? So why blue? This is the question. Well, there is more blue light than violet or purple in the spectrum, so we have a higher intensity of blue, and that's pretty much why the sky is blue. Now, Einstein determined an equation based on the Raleigh scattering formula to determine the probability of scattering. Here it is on the screen. Be sure that you write this down. And this, this is why the sky is blue. Now, some of you are surprised that I'm that smart. I'm actually not that smart. I got this from somebody in our church who deals with physics, and I said, I have no idea how to answer this question, so will you help me out? And this is all scientific and accurate, no doubt. And if you write that down and Google it and search it, you'll understand all of the different Raleigh scattering formulas and wavelengths and crazy stuff like this, and you'll know why the sky is blue. But let's just think for a moment about what God says about some of this. And while we don't have these distinct formulas in Scripture, I think the sky is blue because God wanted it that way. And I believe one of the reasons he wanted the sky blue is to impress us. So that we would look up and say, my goodness, look at how amazing this is. Look at how beautiful this is. In Psalm 19, we actually get a description of what the skies and the heavens do. Here's what it says, verse 1. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display his craftsmanship. So why is the sky blue? I think it's blue so that we would be amazed at the creativity of God 
and just step back and say, it's blue and it's beautiful and it's amazing. And God did all of this. God thought about all of this so that we could enjoy his creation. He's amazing. He's inventive. He's wonderful. I grew up in Illinois for a good portion of my life. And from November to April, the sky is gray forever. And when we moved out here, I think we discovered beautiful Pennsylvania skies because Pennsylvania owns it, right? And they're blue, and it was so fun to look up and notice a blue sky and how beautiful it really is. And again, the skies display. I mean, when we look up and when we see this, the skies display the craftsmanship, the creativity of God. Verse 2, day after day, they continue to speak. I mean, they shout at us, and night after night, they make him known. So that's why the sky is blue. Here's question number four. I always think about people that have never heard about Jesus. Will they get a chance after they die? It doesn't seem fair to me, and I know that God is fair. I would like to believe that they will be given a chance. It's a tough question. It really is. And scripture does provide an answer for us. And I want to be honest with you and say that it's kind of unsettling. And when we discover things that are unsettling for us in Scripture, it's a wonderful reminder of why we're not God, really. And sometimes you just have to step back and say, God is right and good all of the time. And this is one of those times where it doesn't always make sense to us, and we don't always get it, and we have to trust that God actually knows what he's doing. So a couple of thoughts on this particular question. Thought number one, God is actually not fair. Think about that. God is actually not fair, and that is good news for all of us. Because fairness would indicate that everybody gets what they deserve. That's fair. You get what you have coming to you. That's a fair thing. Scripture tells us that we all have sinned, And we all have fallen short of the glorious standard of God's perfection. And as a result of that, we have earned our wage for that is actually death or eternal separation from God. So that's what we deserve. That's what's fair to us. But God isn't fair, and that's really good news. He is good, and he is merciful And he sent his son Jesus to live and die and pay the price for our sins. And he rose again, making it possible for us to be made right with God. And Jesus did all of that. He walked through that because he is good and he is merciful. So God is not fair, which is good news for all of us. He's good and he's merciful. That's thought number one. Here's the second thought on this subject, and it's kind of a small little theological lesson. So theology is kind of a big word that simply means the study of God. And I remember when I went to college and walked into theology class, the professors, I swear, were as old as Moses and Abraham themselves. 
And these guys were smart and intelligent, and they had stories, and they threw out words that were incredible, and it was really, really intimidating to be in theology class. But Tanya, my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, but I kind of had my eye on her. She was in the theology class that I was in. So I really liked theology class. I didn't always get what they were saying, but Tanya was there, so I liked going. But all right, enough of that. Theology, it's the study of God. That's what it's about. And one of the things that we understand about God is that he has chosen to reveal himself to all people in a few different ways. One of the ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us is through something called special revelation. One form of special revelation is the Bible. And we get to read that, and we get to enjoy that. And through the Bible, through special revelation, we discover all kinds of amazing things about God. And God moved through different human authors so that they recorded exactly what God wanted them to record so that we would have an accurate description of God and how to respond to him and how to have a forever friendship with him. That's one form of special revelation. The ultimate form of special revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. And he came, and he lived, and people saw him, people touched him, people learned from him, and we read about him, and we celebrate him. We have the special revelation of the Bible and the person of Jesus Christ. We get to benefit from special revelation. So back to the question. How about people who have never had special revelation? Like they've never read a Bible or they've never heard about the person of Jesus. And sadly, there are still parts of the world that don't have access to a Bible. It's not in their language or they don't have internet access and things like that. They've never really heard about God. Nobody's spoken to them and said, here's Jesus, and here's how you can respond to him, and here's how you can have a forever friendship with God. They just don't have special revelation. What about that? Well, the other way that God has chosen to reveal himself is through something called general revelation. And general revelation can be defined as the revelation of God to all people at all times and in all places that reveals that God exists. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, we have a clear statement about how God has revealed himself to all people. And here's what verse 20 says. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So in reality, it's not that people have never heard about God. The problem is that they have rejected what they have already heard and what has readily been revealed about God through nature. It's kind of a hard thing for us to understand, but God is going to make sure that everybody has the chance to respond to him. We find some incredible words in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 29 says, but from there you will search again for the Lord your God, and if you search for him 
with all your heart and soul, you will find him. And this verse teaches us an important principle that anybody who goes after God, anybody who wonders about him, anybody who has a question like, is there a God? Does somebody exist that created everything? Is there something like that? That God will make himself known to that person, whoever seeks after God, they will find him. So that's kind of a long answer to this question, but I think it's valuable for us to know that God is God, and he's going to make sure that everybody, every person has the chance to respond to his goodness and his mercy that we talked about, because that's what God is. I believe that nobody will ever be able to stand before God and say, well, where have you been all of my life? I didn't know about you. Nobody told me about you. And I would have believed in you, but I didn't have that chance because nobody said anything to me at all. I didn't know about the person of Christ. I don't think that's going to happen. Nobody will be able to say that. And God himself is the one who will make sure that everybody, every single person has the opportunity to respond to the goodness of God. Kind of a tough question, a tough thing to wrestle with. But again, when we dig and when we search, we discover that God has made sure that he has revealed himself to everybody. And as he says in Romans chapter one, they are all without excuse. I want to let you know that you've done a great job listening today. And I want to encourage you to take these questions that we've talked about, take the notes that you've written, search, read, continue to look, and wrestle. It's not a bad thing. Stick with it. Put in long hours and search until you come away marked because of your time with God. And I hope this process here is helping you do that. So next week, we're going to ask questions like this. Is the story of Adam and Eve a true historical story? Or is it a symbol, a metaphor for sin? We're going to answer that. And another question we're going to tackle is, how does our church feel about in vitro fertilization and birth control? And so we're going to figure out what God says in his word about some of those kinds of things. And then we've got a few questions on church strategy And we're going to answer that, and we're going to have a great time. I hope that you'll be here, and I hope that you invite somebody to join you as well. I want to thank you so much for being a part of what's happening here at Valley Point. And I want to let you know that there are some things happening in the school, and as you walk around, you probably notice some messes here and there. So please pardon all of that while the school goes through cleaning and rearranging and getting ready for their new school year. We've got a great partnership with Garnet Valley, and we're excited to have that, thankful for what they provide for us. And so if you are here for the very first time and wondering what all this mess is, just know that's the school. They're kind of arranging and cleaning, and we work around that for a few different weeks, and soon everything will be back to normal. So just wanted to let you know about that. And I also want to let you know that our dream as a church is about pointing people to real relationships that inspire real significance. That's what we're trying to do with everything. Like we're just running after that with a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And next Sunday morning, there is a group 
of 21 people, maybe 24 people that are going to West Virginia to serve and to love on people and to just pour out everything in them to share the love of Christ. We've got 13 or 14 students that are going to be a part of that and some adults that are with them, and we're really excited about that, and we'll have some reports to you about what they're doing, hopefully some pictures as well. But they're going to have some real significance. And so as I close in prayer, I just want to pray for that trip, pray for those who are going, and then just pray that God blesses us as a faith community as we seek to be a bright light. So will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and we're just so thankful for your incredible love for us, which we see revealed in Scripture. God, I want to thank you for being a good God, for being merciful to us. God, we don't deserve everything that you give us, but yet you just pour it out and you give that to us and we benefit from your goodness and your love. So God, we just step back and we're a little humbled by that and we're a little blown away because of what you extend to us. God, help us not to forget about that. Help us not to be ungrateful for that. But help us to get on our knees. Help us to get low before you and just pour out our hearts and say you are an amazing God. And even the skies, even the heavens speak of how creative and how inventive you are. God, I want to thank you for what we're walking through right now and how it's forcing me and I think it's forcing us as a faith community to just dig into the revealed words that you've given to us. God, help us to wrestle with this stuff. Help us to seek answers and help us to seek answers through your word. And then God, help us to do what's right in front of us. Help us to be on mission right where we live, knowing that's going to please you. And we'll be doing spiritual work no matter what it is. God, bless us as we just continue to respond to you and sing to you. God, I also just want to give up the group of people that's going to leave next Sunday and serve in West Virginia. God, bless them. Use this trip to change their lives. God, use it to increase their relational closeness with you. Use it to give them a fire and a passion that they never had before so that when they return, they can do what it is that you have for them right here where they live. God, use them to bless people. Use them to inspire. Use them to encourage. Use them to bring smiles to the faces of people who might not have a lot to smile about. God, we give them to you. They're your servants. Use them. And use us, we do pray here at Valley Point Church, to be a bright light. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9:15 and 11 a.m.